Max Scherzer drove up in a Porsche to the site of Major League Baseball's ongoing labor talks with the Players Union. And that, in kind of an indirect way, really, really exposed the ugly underbelly of the national baseball media. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey. I also offer up Daily Shots of Steelers and Penguins where you found this. They did meet, before I get to Scherzer and his ride, the owners and the players did for several hours, and it was more of the same incremental, irrelevant movement. $5,000 here or there. I'll push one chip over here. You push one chip over there. They're miles apart on everything. According to an MLB spokesman, speaking, of course, from the owner's perspective, any regular season games that get lost in that process, they say, is going to begin Monday, they will not be made up. The schedule will not be redone. And players will not recoup any lost salary from those games. That is now the big anvil hanging from a thread by the owners over the players. And for Scherzer, that'll mean something along the lines of like a quarter million dollars a game or something ridiculous. I don't know what the actual number is, and I don't feel like looking it up. But Scherzer's making a lot of money. And Garrett Cole, who's also on the executive committee, is making a lot of money. In fact, most of the players who have known to be participants in these proceedings have been players who are at that very upper crust of what players make. The next player's name that I hear who will be involved, who's some low-level first-year zero-to-three guy, will be the first. And by the way, parenthetically, the first name of anyone associated with the Pirates will be the first, unless you count Jamison Tyone, who once played here but is now a Yankee, which I guess is part of the membership to get in. Do you just have to, like, not speak of Fight Club or something? Who knows? But I digress here. I digress. Scherzer drove up in a Porsche. And the reporter on the scene for the Associated Press included that information in his lead. And for anybody who doesn't know how the AP works, AP stories end up getting used all across the country. They're all across the world. They're way, 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 way more influential than anything any individual reporter writes because they end up getting applied to, well, pretty much every outlet that doesn't go to Jupiter, Florida itself to cover the event, and that's almost all of them. In turn, the national baseball media, which seemingly does everything in unison now, like synchronized freaking swimming, piles on the AP guy like crazy. Stop carrying water for the owners. What relevance is it that Scherzer drove up in a Porsche or if he'd driven up in a Kia? 
Start being fair to the players. Okay, let me clear up something here. The second principle I laid out there, I'm in agreement with. No one needed to mention what Scherzer drove up in any more than they should have mentioned that Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets, flew there in a private jet. That's a fair concern. But for the baseball writers to be crying out for fairness? Are you kidding me? This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern. That's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone, an eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone, and you do the rest. It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. I've been in journalism. If you want to classify it, you can say sports journalism, although I've covered regular old news things, including a military conflict once overseas, for the better part of my life, for more than 30 years. I have never, never witnessed anything like the collective coverage of the national baseball media and, in turn, a lot of the local baseball media of this particular dispute. It is a dispute, meaning there are two sides to the dispute. And I understand we've reached an age, in particular with social media, where the individual reporter takes on more of an identity than anything we were used to in the past when I was coming up. Not only do I accept that, I'd like to think I've embraced it. I mean, we have a company here at DK Pittsburgh Sports that was founded around one reporter. And I use my own social media accounts to express my own views on a lot of things, from sports to the infinitely more serious Russian invasion of Ukraine last night. That's just how things go now. So I get that part. But I also get that the principles of journalism and reporting, and in particular, with this group of individuals, baseball writers, most of whom are older, haven't changed. They haven't changed that much anyway, where it's okay for that reporter to just state right out in the open viewpoints of being pro-player or ripping the Associated Press, even though the AP screwed up, even though the AP was wrong, for water carrying when they themselves have been doing nothing but water carrying for the players through this entire thing. To me, it's laughable. And no, I could not resist getting on social media and taking a couple shots at them. Keith Law was one of them, and if you know anything about my history, you'll know that I just worship the ground that Keith Law walks on. 
for the caliber of baseball analysis that he's put out over the years. We're friends. We've known each other for a long time. And I couldn't believe that I saw in one of his replies under his water-carrying thing when someone who follows me on Twitter came back at him about a salary cap, and his response was that a salary cap is anti-capitalistic. And something about how it's just a way to move more money from the players and give it to the owners. Well, I came under that, meaning in replies, and said, well, actually, baseball is the one sport where the players are currently, in this system that just expired, getting less than 50% of the total revenues. In fact, most estimates are that players are getting 40%. So it's not even close because one of the many things that come with a cap system, if you actually bother to find out what one is, is full accountability of revenues. The owners in a cap system have nowhere to hide revenues. Tony Clark and Scott Boris themselves would admit that they have no idea how much owners are making. They can guess at it, they can project, but they don't know because they are not entitled in any way, shape, or form to go through the owner's books. Ask the owners of the Pittsburgh Steelers and or Penguins how that goes with them. The players in the NFL and NHL are entitled to know everything about every single penny so that they can guarantee that their players get their due, which is 50% plus. By the way, the same thing applies in the NBA. But when you're one of these baseball writers and everybody's just all kumbaya on the same subject, nobody even feels the need to bother to learn about something like that. They just swim together like a school of fishes, no one checking the other. And whenever someone like me does it, I get, and this was the response I got from Keith, yikes, Dayon. Yikes? Which part is the yikes here? Me giving you the truth? Or you being yikesy that I went against the great big faction of sports writers as if that's a relevant thing? When we come back, there's one question. comes from Ethan who asks, why is it always, quote, the greed of the owners, end quote, and never, quote, the game is dying, end quote. Ethan, I'm going to have to stretch a little bit, I guess, to be sure of what you mean, but I'm going to speculate that you're referring, as I did in the opening segment, to the nature of the media coverage, or maybe you're referring to just the bulk of what you read from fans of baseball around the country as it relates to this lockout. And the, the answer I'll give you, and I think it applies in either direction, is that it's the lowest hanging fruit, man. There's no such thing as an owner that anybody thinks is awesome, you know? Uh, very, very rare 
to say the least, are the circumstances like the one in Milwaukee where Mark Atanasio, who owns the Brewers and is perceived up there as man of the people, he's out there in the seats. He's open and presumably honest with fans whenever the Brewers do cut payroll, why it's done, why it's being done, when it's going to go back up. And then he's true to his word, and then they like him even more. This sort of thing just doesn't happen. Owners are very easy to turn into Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. And part of that is justified. Most of them probably really are like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. So if you're the national baseball media and you get most of your scoops and your exclusives and everything else, and I've been there, I've lived it, those come from agents. And you don't bite that hand. I'm not sure I would have bitten that hand at the time that I was on a day-to-day baseball beat because those guys made me look really, really good for a period of several years when I was doing baseball on a daily basis. And I mean nothing but baseball. And it was a pretty uplifting experience, I'm not going to lie. There's not any street I wouldn't have crossed to meet with these agents, and I did a lot of that in those years, including, I might add, an entire year of working firsthand with Scott Boris. And I got a lot of W's out of that. This is where the baseball media is, and this is why they would react in whatever form necessary to make the player's side and Boris's side and the agent's side look good. Now, when it comes to fans, if that's what you're referring to, Ethan, in this case, it's just that there are more of them, meaning fans of the Dodgers, Yankees, Mets, Red Sox, Cubs, whoever, who are invested, deeply invested in the game, then there are, you know, people who really, really, really care about the Pirates or the Reds and the Royals. And that's got almost nothing to do with big market, small market. The NFL could do a survey and find out that one of the most popular teams they have out of their 32 is the Green Bay Packers, who are based in a comparative village in Wisconsin. A town, a town that has a population, a core population, of around 70,000. Packers are popular just because they're popular. Same way the Chiefs are in Kansas City and the Bengals suddenly are in Cincinnati. It just works like that, except in baseball. So most of the people who really, 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 really want to see a 2022 season and to have it start on time, of course they're in those markets. So of course they're going to express those things. And by the way, to your second point, of course they're not going to think the game is dying because they're surrounded by other people who are really into it. It reminds me a little bit of how Pittsburgh is as a hockey town. And when you go to another city in the United States and you start talking about hockey and they think you're like totally nuts. In Pittsburgh, it feels completely normal to talk about the NHL as if it's a very, very big deal. Why? Because we are all surrounded by people who are doing likewise. 
Oh, and by the way, we also have media, for the most part, who are doing likewise, who are really, really into hockey. That isn't the case, obviously, in our city as it relates to baseball. We're watching it die here. And we do pay more attention when it's dying somewhere else. That word has not made it to these people that you're describing. I appreciate the question. That's good stuff. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. We'll do another one tomorrow.